Good evening. Today I have Anne with me. Hi Anne, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, I'm Anne Boxwich. Um, I'm a short tattooed mum of four, I'm currently living in Dumfries, where I decamped because the, the writing community is so great. Um, and I have my first book come out in July. It's called What Goes Around. And it's a police procedural featuring DI Alex Peachy. And it's the first in what I hope will be a very long series. Did you always know that you wanted to be a writer? No, not really. I mean, I, I hated writing when I was at school because I'm a bit of a daydreamer and I'm really slow. I've always been miles behind everyone else. Um, I think it, I'm, a, I'm an avid reader. I've been reading, my, my grand taught me to read when I was four. So I was reading before I got to school and, and I just loved books. And um, I had a bit of a rough childhood. So I always used books as an escape. Um, so, and then I can't remember what happened. I was talking to someone once and I said, oh, I should write a book about you guys. Um, and he said, if you ever did that, he said, you'd make a lot of money. Um, but I, he was thinking I was going to write factual sort of behind the scenes kind of stuff. But and then I thought I could actually do a fiction, work of fiction with with certain people. Um, and uh, so just started scribbling all bits and pieces down. And it's good catharsis because I've got a disabled son who could be challenging. Um, and so writing for me, if ever he was giving me a particularly bad day, I could just write something horrible about him on the computer and beat him up and then just delete it without actually having to do it in real life and it, and it did it did help us <laughs> it's a good thing to kill someone on paper because you're not allowed to do it in real life <laughs> but yeah but i used to i used to be a promotions um in promotions and i used to we used to me and my friend used to manage um, a band of male strippers which is where the book starts it's um it's a murder at a ladies night um and this this was the guy i was talking about he said you know you should write a, a fly on the wall book about us all, and, and I thought that would make interesting reading. But so um, it's it's not it's, it basically shows you what you see on stage is not necessarily what's going on behind the scenes. There's a lot more to it than than, than that. But it's not as glamorous as it sounds. Either. It's really not. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of an eye opener to start with when you're surrounded by naked men, but after a while you don't even notice them. They're just just there and there's a particular story I like I was telling Jackie Collins last week um I had to separate two six foot plus naked men because they're arguing over baby oil someone would take he take he's taken my bet you've taken my bet and they're going to come to blows and I mean I'm four feet ten and I just I got to the point where I got my mum head on and I thought I've had enough of this so I got in between them pushed them apart and I went if you don't sort yourselves out I'm going to bang your bloody heads together and they were so shocked and they looked and they just mumbled and went off and I thought it is like dealing with six foot toddlers. And that's how I tended to look at them, you know, that it was like, have you, you know, have you got this? No, I've forgotten my pants. What should I do? I don't know. <laughs> and it, it was just, it was like baptizing cats a lot of the time. It was terrible. It was, it was great fun, but it, you know, it, like I said, it wasn't glamorous. You know, you'd have to say, right, you need to be on stage at this time, get your gear ready. Have you got a, a little bit, oh, can you nip and get me a drink? So I'd go out and get a drink, and they'd all want drinks, so I'd go and get a tray of drinks. And then it'd be like, oh, they'd leave all their stuff on the floor, which was dangerous for, for the drag queen who's tottering around in seven-inch heels. So I'd have to tidy up all their stuff. So like I said, it's, it's not glamorous at all. <laughs> oh, I'd have to take the gear home and wash it and have it ready for the next night. <laughs> not fun at all. But yeah, there were, there were a lot of, lot of great moments, and I made some fabulous friends. 
uh, they were hard work sometimes. <laughs> but well, I thought, like I said, it made a great basis really for a for a story. So I thought, yeah, murder at a ladies' night is a good way to to start. <laughs> I was familiar with the yeah. Let's say write what you, write what you know. Uh, so how are you going to top that? <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you have a favourite? Do you have a favourite character? Oh, crikey, I've got a couple. Uh, there's Dr. Matthew Farrow, who's my coroner, affectionately known to everyone as Faz. He's actually based on my old sports physio. And we discussed plots while he was cracking my neck and trying to straighten out my shoulder. And he'd be going, oh, you could do this with him, and you could do that with him. And he's absolutely delighted to be featured in the book. He thinks it's great, and, and people really seem to like him because he can be he can be a bit weird, but he's he's got a heart of gold. You know, he's he's um, he's he, I'm looking forward to developing him a lot further because there's a lot I can do with him, and I always run it past past Matt anyway. So right, I'm going to do this with him. You know, oh, it'd be better if he did that. And I think that's a lot weirder than I was thinking. But if you're happy with that, that's fine. <laughs> um, and, and I love Alex. I think Alex is great. Alex is the kind of policeman I'd want on my side if I was in trouble. Yeah, he will. He will go the extra mile. But yeah, there's lot. There's lots of hope. Most people who have read it come back and say they love the drag queen. Because the drag queen is just fantastic. Because well, she's she's made up of lots of bits of drag queens I've met. You know, I just created her molded her out of, out of other people so she's she's got the lines of one character or the looks of another but she, oh yeah so she'll be back she's back in the second book very briefly but she's there but she she sparks a chain of events in the second book which will probably go on quite a nice chain of events a funny chain of events but we'll see <laughs> <laughs> um if you were to be a uh, murderer in a book, how would you kill your victims? Sorry, say that again. You're breaking up a bit. If you were to be a killer in the books, how would you kill your victims? If I was to be a killer, oh, I'd probably poison someone. Because it'd be fun to watch them suffer. <laughs> <laughs> I spent too much time with Mayra and She loves, she's a mushroom entrepreneur. <laughs> she, there's not much she doesn't know about poisoning people with mushrooms. Um, but yeah, I think I'd like to see them, depending who it was I was killing and for and the reason, if it was someone who'd wronged me, as I'm doing with the book with book two, I'm uh, killing paedophiles in that one. Um, so they have to suffer quite quite a lot, and that's so yeah, I'd probably poison someone just to just to watch them uh, not understand what was going on and why they were feeling so rough. And, uh, I don't think I could I could actually physically stab anyone. That's too up close and personal, I think. Yeah, it's, they say poison's a woman's um woman's choice, method, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, probably I probably shot them off the top of a building. I'd be quite happy doing that. <laughs> yeah, or just elbow them yeah, off a cliff problem, or something. I'm a typical Gemini, I'm a spur of the moment person, so I'd probably do something perhaps I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I think I'd, I'd like to sit back and watch someone suffer. <laughs> my, second, my second husband would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I love how there was no hesitation at all as well. Like, yeah, I'll poison someone. Like, that's it. It was there. <laughs> yeah, he suffers in book two. Don't worry. <laughs> only, only a little bit. I just wanted to 
put some of his his more unpleasant traits in. <laughs> so I wrote him in as a minor character. He might not, he might not make it to the final cut. Yeah, I might get rid of him because he's yeah. It depends. I'm, I'm pretty much finished book two. I'm just at the stage where I'm a pantser. I can't write in sequence. I write first chapter, not a problem. Opening chapter, not a problem. And I always know how I want it to end. And certain things through. I mean, we've we've book one with what goes around. I wrote uh, I wrote the opening, and then I wrote chapter fifteen, I think, or, which then later once I fleshed it out became chapter forty something. It was the scene <laughs> where this drag queen's um, being interviewed by Alex, but he, uh, she's taking her stuff off to get ready for her next show. So it's called D Drag. So he's he's quite fascinated watching this man appear from from this woman, if you like. It's you know the process of, of stripping it all down and becoming a, a, a real person. So that was one of my favourites favourites to write. It was the first one I wrote. And then, and then of course, by the end of the, the writing process, I've got 50-odd chapters and none of them are in the right order. So then I've got to take them all apart. And it's like a jigsaw puzzle. I've got to, Sharon Baird and so she does the same. Um, I've just got to then try and reorder them and then think, that doesn't work, so I need to reorder them again. That's where I am at the moment. And I've got, I've got to hand it in on the 1st of December, so I need to get all of it. <laughs> I've got a dual timeline in the second one, so it's making it a bit more difficult because it's knowing where to put the the, the historical stuff. I've, I've, at first, I put it in the beginning, and then I, I sent it to to uh, May Rinaldi, and she said the problem is with that. We just want to know what's going on with Alex, and we're sort of like skipping through that. So I like, tried putting it somewhere else, and then someone else said the problem with that is I can't remember who these people are, so I'm going to have to rethink this. So, and then this morning, Fiona, I was talking to Fiona Quinn and she said, maybe what you should need to do is take out all the historical stuff and just put it on a separate document for now. Just get the, the main story in order and then read it through and then you'll decide where to put it. I thought that's probably very good advice. So, again, the dual timeline, I might just throw that out and just write it in as this happened to me back then. And, but that's, that kind of spoils the, the interest because I've got, um, we've got two, I've got, uh, obviously, as I said, I'm killing paedophiles, but the, the reason the paedophiles are dying is because there's this, um, a group of, of women who go to a self-help group for uh, survivors of, of child abuse, and they can in this room they can talk about anything they like and know that it stays within the four walls, they're perfectly safe, no one's going to go off and tell their deepest secrets to anyone. But then the paedophiles that these women suffered with start turning up dead but there's a specific signature and the information was was only revealed in that room so that it's a little bit like a locked room mystery but not quite so uh, which is why i'm trying to tell some of it in the past so it seeds in some of the behavioral patterns but i'm not quite sure if it's going to work yet i'm have to go cry to louise's army in another month <laughs> i'm hoping not i'm hoping not but uh, she's been very generous, actually. I did have an extension on this because it's such a dark subject. And because I'm a survivor of child abuse, sometimes when you've sat looking at it for so long, I did have nightmares. It brought all my own stuff back. Um, so I had to sort of like step away from it for a bit until it all calmed down and then go and write the nice parts. But I always knew it was there. It's, it's there in the back of your head, like tapping you on the shoulder. Or, like, you know, it's tapping you on the back of the head. Thing. I'm still here. So you do, it is a bit like dealing with it all over again. But yeah, we're survivors, get through it. Yeah. 
And like I said, when you can kill them on paper, it's the torture methods I've used are just delightful. <laughs> These are things I would really like to do to paedophiles, but I'm not allowed to. But I can on paper. And that's the main <laughs> The killer's kind of a bit of me. This is, this is what I would do if I was going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I um I googled yesterday um how easy it was to slice someone's penis off, which was fun. Yeah. Quite easy, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just you know, FYI. <laughs> yeah, that is something I'm doing. It's uh, they're they're having their, their jump taken off, but while they're awake. Yeah. Oh, well, absolutely. Yeah. yeah most of the torture takes place while they're awake. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Too right. Yeah. That's, there's no fun if they're, if they're asleep is there, or if they're unconscious. <laughs> Where's is the that thing that? <laughs> yeah. Oh god, yes. Yeah. yeah, you don't you want them to know about it. Of course. Yeah. I mean yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen um Laura Biden Citizen with Jared Butler. Because he's got um someone it's it's basically it's, um someone breaks into his house, um beats him up and then rapes and kills his wife and kills his daughter, which I think she's about seven. Um, and they finally catch the guy who did it and he gets away on it with the technicality. And then it takes 10 years, but he gets his own back. And one of the scenes he has is he's got this guy um, strapped to a table and he's showing, he said, you can't move. He's giving him something to, to keep him still, but he's wide awake. And he said, so this implement here, this is for your penis, but we'll get back to that. <laughs> he shows him a box cutter, but this is for your penis, but we'll, we'll, get, we'll come. And it's, I think it's great that he's doing this. You know, I think, and I think that I've probably sort of emulated that a bit, but I've not gone into a lot of detail because I think it's better left for the imagination. Yeah. <laughs> All the men will be crossing their legs. Like, <laughs> yeah. Poor Alex, uh, Alex is having a lot to deal with because he's, there's, there's trauma happens in the first book, which you have to deal with the aftermath of in the second. So, but I won't, I won't spoil that. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you may have... Both of that, but I, I to... Well, no, I mean, I haven't said what the trauma is. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, the trauma is, no, Alex is nothing, Alex's not a paedophile, trust me, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, um, I've given Alex and his wife Jane, I've given them a disabled child who's 17, um, purely because I've got one. I wanted, I wanted a happily married policeman. I'm sick of reading the ones that are divorced, separated, or whatever, or uh, uh, you know, are having an affair or whatever. I wanted someone with a solid, because the majority of policemen are solid and, you know. And uh, so I gave him this disabled child because I wanted to show that, you know, it's a different kind of, problem if you like you know there are a lot of parents out there with disabled children who are violent and his his, his basically his his child is mine yeah and my son knows about it he's he, when he, he first read it he went he's a really horrible horrible man i went that's how you treat me and he was like oh i'm sorry and it was almost as if it doesn't he doesn't remember doing it it's like somebody else did it <clears throat> although to be fair joel in the book he's a lot more violent than my son was but it would have got that firefight if if we hadn't been really careful. But he's he's quite violent to his mum. He breaks her nose at one point. So um, yeah. But he's always saying, "Oh, I didn't mean it. It was an accident. I'm sorry. I'm sorry." And my son does that. I'm sorry. It was an accident. I didn't mean it. And you know full well he, he did mean it. <laughs> but 
the, and the, one of the other issues is that it's quite a common thing that disabled people can do things and get away with it because they play the disability card. My son does that. Um, somebody came up to me in Harrogate and, and she, I've got a bag with a picture of my book on. She said, did you write that? And I went, I did. She went, I just want to say thank you for saying for showing that disabled people can be arseholes. And I went, you like that? She went, my auntie has put up with this, that sort of stuff from her, from my cousin for years. And all he ever says is, you can't do anything about it because I'm disabled. I went, my son did exactly the same thing. And I said, I just wanted to let people know that it's it does happen. It's, they're not alone. It does happen to other people. And it's it's perfectly okay to, to not like a disabled person. Because I did have the police out to mine once because he was smashing the place up. He's in a wheelchair, but he gets around with his hands and knees when he's not. But he was just completely totally in his room. So I called the police. And they said, well, what do you want us to do? I said, well, can you put the handcuffs on him? And they went, oh, he's disabled. I went, that's the problem. And he knows that. He knows you won't arrest him. You won't put handcuffs on him. You won't put him in a police car. Because, oh, but I'm, but I'm disabled. I didn't mean it. And you go, oh, okay. And that's a terrible thing to... I said, he knows exactly what he's done. He's done. Because the minute you walk out the door, he'll threaten me and say, don't ever call the police on me again or I'll stab you. That's the sort of thing I used to get. <laughs> I do love him though, he's my son, what can you, what can you say? <laughs> we're, we're better now, he's, he doesn't live at home anymore. <laughs> he's now in a supported living facility where he's at, he, and he absolutely loves it and we get on so much better. But uh, we, I just, you know, couldn't couldn't take the, the violence anymore. And <clears throat> you shouldn't have to, you know, it is domestic violence at the end of the day. But I wanted to show that, you know, disabled people are capable of that. Because it's, I think it's an important point to make. Yeah. Yeah. One of my um, my favourite stories of when I used to work in a petrol station was from my auntie. She used to work nights. Yeah. yeah. And um, this guy came in, and everyone had to pay first. And he, um, I guess he was with someone. I don't know, but she shouted him over the tunnel that he needed to come to the window first. And um, he's like, I can't see or something. She's like, well, you're not deaf, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Never gave her any problems again. Yeah. But uh, yeah, my, my son will play on it. I can't do that, I'm disabled. He used to do it when he was, when he was very small, obviously before he was big enough for a wheelchair. Um, obviously he, he can't walk, but he, I think someone came to the door once and he, he was lying on the floor and the stairs and he was crying, doing that horrible grizzly cry that children do. And I think he was, he was, about, he was about two then. And I opened the door to this woman. And I was like, oh. she goes, oh, is your little boy all right? I went, he's fine. And he went, I can't. I went, you can. Get up the stairs. And he's like, I can't. So I prodded him with my shoe. She went, don't kick him. I went, I'm not. I'm just prodding him with my shoe. And I explained that he was disabled because we hadn't long moved in. And she went, but you can't do that. He's just, I went, yes, I can. And in the end, he just looked at me and went, fine. And he went up the stairs in his hands and he's just like he always does. He just didn't want to do it that day. And she went, I don't believe he's just done that. I went, he was just trying it on. He wanted me to carry him and I wasn't going to. <laughs> and I, so I never treated him. If I knew he could do it, I'd make him do it. And but yeah, he would play on it all the time. <laughs> I can't do that because my back hurts. That's rubbish. My back hurts from lugging your wheelchair around. Get on with it. <laughs> and he'd go, fine. <laughs> and he, he knows he's been rumbled. <laughs> so, so yeah, they do. They, do you know, they can play on it. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not dis disabled bashing at all. The, the life that, that Alex has is the life that we had. You know, he's got the, the thing that I've done with Alex is he's, he's 
the start of the book, he's, he's on leave. It's Christmas coming. He's moving house. They're moving into a, a, spe a specially built bungalow for his son. Um, his son was, was disabled at birth through negligence. So the compensation he got has gone to pay for this purpose-built bungalow, which he's designed. Um, Alex's brother is a, is a builder. And so between them, they've designed this bungalow. So it's got everything that he could possibly need. Um, and um, so it's built and it's ready and they're getting ready to move. And then Alex is called into work because his colleague has got, been rushed to hospital with gallstones. And there's a dead body found behind this club where there's been a male strip night. So of course, his son's not happy that dad's not there. He's supposed to be helping us move. And he takes it out on the wife and the wife's going, just, just go to work. It's okay. We, it's part, we, she knows the job. She knows it, it's not a lot. And she's, she's really supportive. But well, he, then the son starts playing up because he's, well, dad's not here. The move still goes ahead. Obviously, they, they do eventually get, get moved in and, and stuff. I mean, that's just a, a small side on it. I've moved house at Christmas. It's, it's very stressful. But I didn't have to go deal with the dead body afterwards. Um, but, um, you know, it's, I just want to show that, you know, he, again, he's got everyday life. You know, he has to move out. He has to deal with this. He has to, and then all the other stuff that goes with it. So, and then, of course, he's, he's not familiar at all with male strippers or drag queens. He's quite out of his depth, really. But um, it's, it's a scenario. I've, I've done a few shows with, with the guys. And quite often there'd be a fight to break up out from, from drunken women or whatever, which normally I didn't get involved with. But when they're trying to grab at the guys and go, take me home, I love you, and, you know, get off. <laughs> you'd have to force them back. And I thought, you know, what if someone actually died? What would you do? So again, that, that sort of fed into when I decided I was going to write a book. I thought, well, yeah, because, you know, these, these scraps, you know, I've seen blood spilled mortals. Or, you know, one of them could kill the other. You wouldn't know. But then again, there were there was the odd occasion when I'd have to wait around for one of the guys because he pulled. So I'd have to wait for him to finish what he was doing behind the club before I could drop him home. So that was and I sit in the car and think, has he not done yet? <laughs> Knowing full well he's got a wife at home, you know, which is awful because you do get the occasional one that's like that. I mean, most of the lads are, are solid and they're married, they've got kids, and they're, they're great, but there was always the odd one. There's always one. And again, I thought, well, if I had a character that was that kind of guy, then yeah, it could be him that's done it. You know, it's his, you know, the stripper's girlfriend is found dead behind the club. She was last seen with him, disappearing through backstage. You know, and he's, he's uh, Ray Diamond, my, uh, yeah, my antagonist. He's, he, uh, he's a delight, he really is. He, he loves himself very much. When we first meet him, he's, um, when you meet him on, when the police go to interview him, he's lying around on his sofa, watching a video of himself, drinking. He looks like he's, he looks a mess. He looks like he's slept in his clothes. And then he, he tries to charm the pants off the two policewomen who've come to interview him. <laughs> and he's, because he, he loves himself. And he's not listening to what they're trying to tell him. And he's just going, oh, if someone's cried rape, it wasn't me, brother. And so he, he just, uh, no one no one puts one across on me because I'm Ray Diamond, I'm the best thing to do. And he, he's, he's, he's that kind of guy. <laughs> but I thought, yeah, I wanted to put to put someone in like that and just see where it went. The kind of guy that will step on everyone else to get to the top, and he doesn't care. Yeah. So there's a, there's a few... Um, 
bits in the book where he's, he's, he steals work from another guy um, who's, who's got a, a young baby to feed, but he's phoned the venue head and said, oh, he can't do it now, but I'll come and do it for you for the same money. So the venue have done that without checking back with the, with the other guy's agent. And that used to happen. Occasionally you'd get that. Someone would phone ahead and say, oh, they're not coming, but I can do it. And then phone the other guy and say, oh, the job's been cancelled. I've seen that happen. And that's what I thought, I'll put that in. And that's the kind of guy that Ray is. He's not a nice man at all. <laughs> you do love to hate him. So, but yeah, so he's, he's um, it's his girlfriend that dies. And it's, yeah. But uh, yeah, a lot of people liked the, 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 the opening scene at the ladies' night. But th that was based on the ladies' night I actually went to. Uh, the the women the behaviour of the women when they've had a few it's, but it's that's how women behave they don't they don't sit and clap and go oh that's very good they do jump on their chairs and shout rude, rude things and get drunk and try and stop the taxi driver <laughs> I have seen it happen it wasn't me I have seen it happen <laughs> I will say nothing <laughs> oh, I had a friend I walked home with one friend. And she said she needed a wee, so she stopped and pulled her pants out and weed on someone's front garden, right by the main road. She didn't care. She said, I need to go. And she hooked her skirt up and dropped her pants and squatted another pee on this man's car. But I hope he doesn't come out. <laughs> <laughs> she said, well, you got to go, you got to go. <laughs> oh, dear. All these cars drive by tooting their horns because she's showing her bare backside. Oh. <laughs> 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 I've done it on a <coughs> on a um, motorway slip road. Yeah, but behind bushes. But you know, yeah. But yeah when oh, you've got go. she was just like, I need to go now. And it was, oh dear. <laughs> yeah, this was in this was in Oxford actually. So it was, it was going along the main Headington Road. So it was like, oh dear, <laughs> which is the A forty. So it's. <laughs> That was a good night, that was actually. <laughs> so like that one, I could blend these three together and come up with a better one. And, and, uh, yeah, sounds good. Anyway, I'm talking far too much again. You probably want to ask me something else. No, it's fine. You're answering all my questions without having to ask them. It's great. <laughs> Jackie last week, I think that's what it was. So it's all it's all still quite familiar. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know we spoke beforehand, but do you hide any secret jokes or messages in your books? Um, oh, let me think. Have I hidden any secret messages? Um, I don't know actually. It's been a while since I read it. Um. No, I don't, I, don't think I, I don't think I have. Unless you can think of what I have. Maybe the one I've told you about, and I can't remember. <laughs> no, you'll have to, you'll have to, you'll have to, uh, let, you have to tell me what you, what, yeah, remind me what I'm, what I'm, which incident we're talking about. The, um, I can't remember actually when we started recording and what you told me before or after. <laughs> oh. um, well, there's an incident, yeah, there's, uh, 
one of my policemen, DC, uh, DC Les Morris. Les Morris is a real person. He's an author. He's one of the Dark Age press guys now, actually. He was he signed after, after I did. Um, he's a great friend, and I met him. At, um, I did a crime writing course at Gretna Green, the great, which is run by Graham Smith. Uh, he runs a wedding venue, it's a you know, wedding hotel. But he, he put together a, a, a group called Crime and Publishment, and um, it's been running for eight years now, and we've had 14 people sign contracts off the back of it. It's, it's run by other authors. Um, so, um, and you get to pitch to a publisher or an agent at the, at the same weekend, you get two days of classes. And I met Les there. Um, and quite often when Graham was, was running a scenario past people, he go, right, so if we're going to kill someone, we'll kill Les. And this became a standing joke that poor Les always got killed off. And then Mike Craven killed him in one of his books. Um, I think he put him in a nuclear bunker and left him to starve to death. And Graham put him down a sewer and let him die. And, uh, and so he said, to, we had this conversation once, and he said, everyone just puts me in their books and kills them. I said, well, I'll put you in mine, and I promise you will never die. I said, you might leave, but you'll never die. And he was very happy with that. And one of the stories he, he told me once, he said that, um, I can't remember if it was on Facebook he put it, or he actually told me in person, but he'd, um, his dog had eaten a peach stone and this poor dog, he said, oh, he said it was just coming out of both ends because she couldn't get rid of it. He said, so it was a very expensive trip to the vet. So one of my chapters starts with Les had been up all night with a vomiting dog. <laughs> so the dog story is actually a true story. So, and in the second second book, Les has recently had an encounter with a bat. So that's going in the second book. And I just said, can I put that in the book? He said, yeah, that's fine. Put that one in. So you're going to have to do something weird for the third book then, so I have to put that in as well. He's <laughs> very accommodating, Les. He's a, he's, a great, he's a great guy. So yeah, I've, I've, um, I've done that. And, and um, my policeman, Greg, Craig Muir, he's, Craig Muir is actually a friend of my husband's, and he just, he, he's not a, the, the um, um, catwalk model that he is in the book. He, he's always, he always dresses very smart. He's a lovely guy. Uh, but I've made him very sort of fashion conscious in the book. So there's a, there's a nuclear meltdown if he spills into his tie, you know. <laughs> he's one of those kind of guys, but he's a, he's a really good guy. But uh, he he was fun to write. He really is. He he comes into his own in book two. He has a star moment, which I had. I, I ran past my husband and he went, he would love that. And I thought that's good. I'm glad he likes that. He's like that because obviously he knows it. He's known for twenty years. I I don't know him that well, but yeah, he's he's. Um, so yeah, using real people is quite good because you can play on their foibles as well. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember ringing uh, Matt Farrow up and saying, "Right, I need to know some some information." And he said, "What do you want to know?" I said, well, favorite album, and, you know, favorite snack." And he said, "Well, I just eat anything." So, uh, and so uh, when when you first when you you meet Farrow, Alex has to go and see Faz to get a report. So he's got ACDC on the on his record player, belting out um, something, and uh, he's stuffing his face with mince pies and, and chocolate hobnobs. Chocolate hobnobs feature in every book. That's because my eldest daughter is a big fan of Bottom, you know, the program with Aid Evans and Nick Mail, and particularly um, we're we're one of those weird weird families that we when we watch things a lot, we'll sometimes quote them to each other just. 
I, I was talking to Rob Parker about this on Saturday. One of one of my favourite films is Demolition Man. So quite often I'll ring my daughter and say, "Greetings and salutations. I'm Associate Bob," because that's a line that's used in the film. <laughs> or I'll or I'll phone her up and, and do the hello like for Mrs Doubtfire or something, which I did this morning. Then she went, "Mum, I've got a migraine." I was like, "Oh, sorry." <laughs> <laughs> didn't go down very well um but so or I'll, I'll say a line to it don't name the film so we, we do that quite a lot as a family so um i completely forgot what i was talking about <laughs> <laughs> so that was it, a chocolate omelet so and uh, one of our favorite bottom episodes is where they decide to go wild camping on wimbledon common <laughs> and he says oh i didn't bring any food and and aid Edmonds goes i've got a packet of chocolate hobnobs and so it's it's something we say to each other all the time so i, I just said to her i'll put a packet of chocolate hobnobs in every book <laughs> so i don't know if that was a sort of hidden things you meant but yeah there's yeah there's little things like that i love stuff like that that's great <laughs> and alex has a cat called jack who is that's that's jack uh, he was my uh, i put in the back of the book he's my favorite son he, and we lost him two years ago, so but he was already in the book anyway. So, yeah, Jack, the Jack in the book is exactly like the attitude of the real Jack. <laughs> so I had to put I had to put him in. So he'll be immortalised in, in the book. So, but yeah, <laughs> it's nice to do things like that. Just especially special people that you've, you've perhaps lost or pets and whatever. So, and I won't ever kill any animals. <laughs> Promise you that now. I will never harm an animal. <laughs> A vomiting dog, I suppose, is, isn't very nice, but it's not deliberate. <laughs> yeah, and these things yeah. happen. You know, dog owners tell me all the time, "Well, the dog's eating something." Because oh, once God. once told me that their dog had a pair of pants, that was kind of weird. I can't remember whose dog that was. <laughs> Maybe someone watching a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like. My dog used to puke all the time, yeah. and if he puked, it usually came out the other end as well, and it was just. It's always like <laughs> squeaking and just going. <laughs> Yeah, just everywhere, all over the house. It's delightful. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, great, here we go again. Yeah. Um, what's been your highlight so far since you started writing? Uh, since the book came out, you mean, or since I actually started? Since you started, yeah, the, the thing that stood out most. I think it was the, the massive support I've had from other authors. I mean, going to Harrogate, I've probably been to 10 out of the last 12, but won't count the, won't count the COVID year. Um, and as soon as you mentioned that you're writing a book, normally people go, oh, great, yeah, you know, that's the sort of thing you expect. Oh, but another, but they've been absolutely brilliant. Everybody, you know, so many words of encouragement. Um, Stuart Neville read my synopsis um, a few years back, told me where he thought it might be improved. Um, so I took all that on board, you know, it's just little that everyone's always eager to help. And before the book was published, I approached um, the crime fiction coach on um, Facebook, which is a group of women writers. It's Alex Sokoroff, Susie Holliday, uh, Steph Broadrib, Louise Voss and Alexandra Benedict. And uh, they, they like, run a mentoring service, proofreading, editing and all that. And I, I, I messaged Susie and I said, um, could someone proofread and, and just line edit my, just check my books okay because I'm, I'm submitting it but I'm not really getting anywhere um, and I think perhaps it just needs a professional to to um, give it the once over so she put me in touch with Louise Voss who was, she was amazing she came back there was hardly anything that she she criticised me on she said you've pretty much got it 
um, just a few tweaks here and there. And uh, I was I was thrilled that they used her quote on the front cover because I thought that was quite nice. But when I sent it off, I said, oh, you know, Louise is, is edited, and they were really impressed. I said it was, it was worth spending a bit of extra money to get it perfect. Um, but, you know, people like that, again, you know, because I'd spoken to Susie and she said, well, we're going to be doing this thing. I thought, well, I might come to you when my book's ready. Just give me a shout. You know, it was, it's been lovely. It really has, you know, and people have said, oh, let me know when your book's out, I'll go and get a copy. And I thought, that, again, these, these are authors that are, that are holding high esteem. And I'm thinking, they want to buy my book, why? But it's, it's you know, been great. And one of the highlights was doing Crime in the Spotlight at Bloody Scotland this year. Not just because I had an author badge, but because that was just, that's tick, that's number one on the bucket list, is to have an author pass. And I've got an author pass, so was, that was just incredible absolutely incredible but again you know when you, when you speak to people the first thing they do is say oh congratulations on the book really hope it did, did well Lynn Anderson um called out to me at Harrogate threw her arms on me she went I'm really proud of you and I thought wow you know that's <laughs> means so much yeah. and she made me cry actually because I was on before her panel hers and Ellie Bruce's panel and we stood in the wings waiting to go and she gave me a hug she went I'm so proud of you and I just filled up, I thought, I can't cry. I've got to go out there and read something. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's just, you know, that sort of thing, the encouragement and the support is it's, it's astounding. You know, and you stand there still feeling a bit like, oh, I shouldn't really be here. This is, you know. But, you know, the, the, I mean, so many people come up to me in Harrogate and said, I've just bought your book and read it. It's really great. And I mean, these are strangers. I'm like, it's fabulous. This is how it feels. It's I mean, I know it. Hopefully it'll get better. But even so, it's just to be congratulated by my heroes. And it will be just to be acknowledged by my heroes was, was worth more than than any money. Just knowing that, you know, the, the respect, you can feel the respect, and that's I suppose that's it. They're not just thinking, oh God, the fly by night is gonna be disappear. You know, I'm, I'm here to stay. <laughs> you haven't seen the back of Alex yet, you know. He's going to be as I'm hoping he's going to keep going as long as Tom Thorne, but we'll see. <laughs> That's the goal is to be able to do, do a Mark Bateman and say, This is my 21st book. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, Mark, Mark will, will uh, you know, be on the panel with me. That'd be nice. You wouldn't get words in edgeways. <laughs> Mark, Mark's incredible, he really is. He's, he's so nice. He was the first person to ask my autograph, which made my day. Yeah, he was probably thinking just humor the silly woman, but you know, it was still nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing that I noticed when you done your thing at Bloody Scotland was how supportive the audience were, and yes. you got as big a round of applause as the people on the panel did, which I thought was lovely as well. You know, so, I, did, I didn't actually notice that because I was just too busy. I got off the stage and I thought, oh, my knees are going to go now because it's it's kind of afterwards that you, yeah. That you notice it. I mean, I was I was looking at a lot of my fellow crime and publishment um, friends are in the audience. You've probably seen them all wearing the t-shirt with my book on the front. I did. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're collectively known as the Twisted Sisters, which was a name I came up with because I'm a heavy metal fan. Um, but we we get together at, um, at May Renaldi's house and do a, a little writing retreat because you know a lot of us have got families or we've got other things going on that we find it hard to sit and concentrate because. With, you know, when you're at home, it's it's quite difficult to just 
not think of, of what's going on. You know, the doorbell could go, the phone will ring. And she said, just come to mine. Pupils will come together, will come to mine. You can write undisturbed all day, you know, and um, and it works really well. We get we get through loads. We probably knock out about 20,000 words between us on a weekend, which is not bad for five or six of us. And sometimes we'll do more. Yeah, but they were really supportive. When I when I printed the t-shirts up, I said, Oh, I hope you don't mind. I've got you know, who wants a t-shirt? And they, they all said, We'll have one. You know, so they were they were brilliant, um, really supportive. So it it was really nice. And then people would say, I mean, Abby and Mukherjee said, I want one of those t-shirts. So that was again, that was a huge, yeah, huge actor. I've yet to see him wearing it. So I'd like to see a picture of him wearing it. I see Khan's got them as well. I'd like to, yeah, I want a picture of the two in a minute. That'd be, yeah, that'd be something. But uh, yeah, it's it was. They were they were really they're really supportive people. You know, the Twisted Sisters. We 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 look after each other. We we all support each other. I think I'm the first I'm the first one to be published. So, you know, but I'm there to I'm there to help promote and, and support them as much as they have me and anyone else really. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, Graham Smith's been a fantastic, been fantastic. You know, if it hadn't been for his course, which happened to run um, in the March after my first Harrogate, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have gone. My daughter bought me, bought me the, the, the place for, for Christmas. She said, "I've seen this. I think you should go." And I went, "I can't go to that. I don't know anyone." She went, "Exactly, but it's, you know, you need to go." And I was like, "No, no, I can't do that. I'm not that good." So she bought me the ticket. So I, I remember leaving the house, waving to my husband, and driving. I'm thinking, "What the hell am I doing?" I have at the motor. I'm thinking the traffic's bad. That's a sign. I should turn around and go home and stop being sick. But uh, when I got there, I just felt like I was with friends. It was they were so great. <laughs> Graham, even now, I could message him and say, um, "Have you got a wedding on today? I need somewhere quiet to write." And he'll just go, "I'll come over to the mill and I'll sit at the top end of the bar on my laptop." And you know, I usually have my lunch on there, but I'll sit. I'll sit and write in peace. And he's 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 been really really supportive. Uh, Mike Craven wrote my synopsis because he said mine was shite. <laughs> we have a we have a small group called Moffat Crime Writers, and, and Mike comes along to that. And I'd taken it with me, and he we were sitting around the table, and we were just chatting. And he went, "What's that?" And I went, "That's my synopsis." And he went, "Let's have a look." And he snatched it off me, and he read it. He went, "This is shite." So I threw the pen at him. I said, "Will you write it?" And he went, "I will." And he did. He took it home and he emailed it back to me the next day. I went, "That's so great." <laughs> So he's, you know, again, he's he's been amazing. He, he did the first, you know, one of the first read-throughs and said, this works, that doesn't. You know, and all of the Twisted Sisters have, have done the same. They've all read it before it was published, um, before it got signed. So, you know, they were, they were really good on saying, well, this, you know, we like this, we like that, we don't like that. So, yeah, so to cut a very long story short, it's the support from everyone else that's been the biggest, the biggest thing, the biggest highlight. Oh, Jeffrey Deaver follows me on Twitter. That, that's the ultimate. <laughs> that's like, you know you've made it when Jeffrey Deaver follows you. Yeah, future he, goals for me. <laughs> he's, he's, my, he's my hero. He's my ultimate, my mentor, I suppose, my idol, my author god. <laughs> Can't big him up enough, really. But he's, you know, he's, he's who I aspire to be, I suppose. You know, he's just his books are incredible. I never guess who's done it ever, unless he's told you at the beginning. But it, it's just you when you just think you've got to the gist of the story, he takes you somewhere else. And he, he's just 
He's just, wow, I thought I deserved it. Yeah, when he thought so I'd follow me back, I thought that's it, I've made it. I've made it now. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're not writing, what do you like to do with your time? I play computer games a lot. Um, usually things like cards. I like hidden object games as well, you know, the ones you find on Big Fish. I'm a, I'm a big fish fan. I download games on there all the time. I play the, the, the hidden object games. I like the card games as well. <clears throat> I was playing solitaire this afternoon, actually. So um, after, I'd, after I'd done my quota for the day, uh, I said I played solitaire for an hour. That's, that's how I wind down. Or I watch TV occasionally. And, uh, I introduced my husband to the original Perry Mason after we watched the really poor remake. <clears throat> which was I was sitting there and that's not what Perry's like Perry's not like Perry would not do that and he said well because obviously it's told from a young Perry Mason well, no that would this is just awful and he said well he'd never seen the, the my grandma would be turning her grave because she loved Raymond Burr you know so I said right well so I, I'm down I, well they were, they were showing it I think on um, uh, one of the, the crime channels so I said, right, we'll watch it. And, we, and we'll, he was hooked from the start. So we've got one episode left to watch and we put it off and put it off and put it off because we don't want it. But Earl Stanley Gardner, who wrote the very basic books, is actually in the last episode. He's the judge. But I thought, yeah, we'll save that one. But we just, yeah. I like things like that. I like you know, a bit of escapism. I've just recently re-watched Rosalian Isles because I, I love Tess Gerritsen's books. Um, very, very, she's she's amazing as well. I love Karen Slaughter. I'd love to see that come to the screen. I'd love to see Will and Sarah on the screen. Um, and I don't know if you saw, if you watched um, the adaptation of The Bone Collector, The Search of the Bone Collector, it was, it was as close to the books as you can get. It was really good. And the guy who played The Bone Collector was thoroughly creepy. <laughs> he was one of these really quiet, unassuming people, which are the more terrifying type. You know, he wasn't sort of rampaging around with a big axe or anything. He was the kind of guy that you could live next door to. <laughs> I, I, I recommend that. If you watch that, the, the Hunt for the Bone Collector is a search for the Bone Collector. Very, very well done. Yeah. I've um, Weirdly, I've never seen Rosalia and Oz, I don't think. I've watched Bones because I love Kathy Reichs. Mm. And um, what's his name that's in it as well was, you know, oh, just David, a, David Glorianus, is it? Yeah, just an added bonus, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've only watched a few episodes of Bones, but Rizzoli Niles, obviously, Tess Gerritsen says, hmm. you know, Rizzoli is nothing like she is in the book because she's a short, dumpy, overweight woman in the book, whereas Angie Harmon is six foot two and beautiful and slim and, yeah. It's TV, isn't it? It has to, it has to appeal but she said, yeah, but the, it was it was a good act. I mean, I think the seven series. Um, but it was it was it was it was good. It was it's kind of comfy TV. And I love Bake Off. I'm absolutely absolutely Bake Off. And uh, recently it's been Strictly, which I was quite shocked to find that one of the Bake Off winners was actually on Strictly, and I had to look him up so I don't remember him. And then looked and thought that's why, because he looks completely different to how he did a Bake Off. And when I see them two dance, I just want to cry, and I don't know oh, why. I don't really know why, but it just makes me really it's, emotional. <laughs> it's an art form, the way they dance, isn't it? It's absolutely beautiful. Always, always move me to tears. You know, and to be honest, oh, 
I don't understand why people can be homophobic. Why? What is the point? We're all human. It's the same with race. Oh, we don't even get me started on that. Because if you needed a life-saving organ, you're not going to say, well, what colour skin did they have? You're going to take that organ and you... <laughs> when, you when you have a, a, a blood transfusion, you don't ask what colour the person was it came from. So why the hell... Do you, why should it matter? You know, it's it really... I could use an expression there, but I won't. It's an expression that Mark Benningham used. <laughs> I'm not going to use it. Um, but, uh, it's, it's a fabulous one. But, it just, you know, I, I just... I don't understand what business is it of anyone's, what sexuality someone is. As long as it doesn't involve children or animals, it really doesn't matter. Nobody, I mean, nobody would think to, to go up to a straight married couple and go, don't hold hands in public, or don't, don't kiss each other in public, or what you do together is wrong, because it's not always about that. <laughs> if you love someone, you love someone. I'm, I'm a great believer that you love someone, you love someone's soul, you love their spirit. doesn't matter what package they come in, you love, you love them, you don't love the wrapping. You know, if you're the president of Christmas, you don't care what it's wrapped in, you just like what's inside, and that's how it should be. And that's me waving my pride flag for now. <laughs> but it, I don't need, I never notice, I don't notice colour. I mean, someone said to me, you haven't, you haven't got any black characters in your book. I went, says who? Uh, well, you never mentioned them. I said, I haven't mentioned them on purpose because it's up to you how you see them. Jeffrey Lever said when he wrote Lincoln Rhyme, he was surprised when they cast Denzel Washington. He said, because in my head, he was always a white guy. He said, but I've never specified he's a white guy. So it's great that they've, they've, they've decided to go with Denzel Washington. So, and I thought the same when I wrote mine. I thought, I'm not going to put the colour. I'll put hair colour and eye colour. And Faz is obviously a white guy because he's ginger. <laughs> and I've never seen a ginger African unless it's not natural or, or a, a ginger um, Indian or Pakistani because it's, you know, he's naturally a redhead so therefore he's very pale but I don't put colour because I don't think it's up to me to decide what colour they are and plus it makes it easier if there ever becomes a TV series which would be fabulous then they can cast who they like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I would like first dibs on who would play Alex and there you are That's just me personally I'm a, I'm a massive massive Sean Bean fan and although Sean is perhaps getting on a bit now I would have liked Sean to have played him Purely because then he won't die. <laughs> yeah. I don't like him dying and everything. It's, it's depressing. <laughs> Bless him. Started watching Game of Thrones. Again, he's a main character. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't even make the season, does he? The first uh, one? It's uh, gone. No. Which was, which was, yeah. But I would have liked him. Failing that, I'd like Ralph Ineson to play Ralph. Uh, Ralph Ineson to play Alex. Who's, he's one of those guys that you know you don't know the name but you know him because he does a lot of voiceovers. He's got that lovely flat northern, I don't know if it's a Manchester accent, but it's kind of the flat vowels and I, and I think that's how Alex would speak. And I just love that. And if it ever became a film, I would
we're not having a good time. Oh, <laughs> oh it's taken us so long to, <laughs> to chat as well. No, don't worry. It's fine. <laughs> oh no, I don't edit. It's fine. Oh, yeah. it, it means I'd have to watch it again and ugh. <laughs> so for anyone never... watching, my computer decided to die. I had to reboot it. Uh, it does it on occasion. I think it just tells me you've been on there enough. Get off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll ask you just a couple more questions, uh, anyway, and then we shall, uh, just in case, if it decides to break again. Um, oh. So, if you were to, able to travel to any period of time, either forwards or backwards, where would you go? Hmm. Uh, I would probably go back um, to where, I'm not sure. Uh, I suppose I should say to go back to before my mum met the person who abused me. But then I look at my life now and think, would I be here if I took a different path? Yeah. Or I could go back to before my son was born and So he wouldn't because his disability was caused by negligence. He was fine before he was born. So, you know, if I'd had a different wife, more things have been different. But again, I don't know if we'd be where we are now if that hadn't happened. So I suppose it's it's a double edged sword, isn't it? It'd be nice to go back to last week and find out the winning lottery numbers. <laughs> yeah, I'd do that. I'd, I'd make a note of the winning lottery numbers and then go back a week. That would be that would be cool. <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> it makes life so much easier. <laughs> um, so you said you're trying to finish book two and you have book three already an idea. So do you know what you're going to do after that? With what? With book three? Yeah, or, or beyond. Well, book three will be... Um, it's, uh, I don't even know where this came from. We had to, when we did Crime and Publishment one year, Zoe Sharp was one of the teachers. And we were set home, every every year, Graham sets us some homework beforehand. <clears throat> and for, for Zoe's um, um, homework, we had to write an opening chapter that would keep you hooked. And so, um, I mean, I'm going to use the chapter anyway, but basically it was... Um, it's known as the corpse's head. So, so someone walks into a hotel bedroom and they're admiring the beautiful drapes and the nice soft carpets and the, the, the expense. And the, then they look out the window and see the kids walking across the, the thing in a crocodile van. And, and then there's the blonde on the bed with her hair all fanned out and the, her eyes closed and a smile on her lips. But the only thing that's odd is the rest of the body nowhere to be seen. <laughs> and that's the opening chapter. And everyone went in the room went, oh, that's really good. And I thought, I'm going to use that. And then obviously, because of the stories I wanted to tell, that, that didn't really fit with anything. But I thought that's the first part. But the I suppose the hook with that book is each victim is going to have something to do with one member of the team. It's going to be con connected in some way to one member of the team. And um, so basically this killer is playing cat and mouse with the team. A bit like Jigsaw, I suppose, but not, not Jigsaw. I'm not going to rewrite Jigsaw, that was... Yeah, but um, it's going to be 
there's going to be clues there and they're going to think, well, you know, it's not necessarily be someone very close to see. It might be someone's cousin. It's, it'll be so, there'll be some connection there. In, in And it's, you know, I haven't got a title for that one yet. Um, and then book four um, is going to take place during Wolverhampton Pride. Because like I said before, I'm, I'm very big on you know, homophobia and I wanted to address that. So there's someone out there, you know, out to, out to, who's got it in for the gay community. So, yeah, Alex won't stand for that. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's got one of his team is, is gay, so he, he, there's no way he's going to stand for it. He wouldn't stand for it anyway, but particularly because one of his, one of his, his uh, team are, are gay, so that's why, yeah. So she, she's going to feel that quite, quite personal to her, but, um, yeah. Yeah, so that's where we are with book four. Book five, I've kind of got an idea. I, I wake up with these really ridiculous ideas. Where did that come from? And then so I write it down. So I tend to keep them. So they will all eventually become Alex Peachy books. So Alex is, it's going to be, um, Alex meets someone and then thinks, well, you can't be who you say you are because I remember carrying your coffin when you were found dead. So, <laughs> so it'll be, uh, this, this little girl is dead. He knows she is because he carried her coffin at her funeral. Um, he, had a, he, he found her body and he had carried so why is this person saying that that's who they are <laughs> but then I think Mike Craven's probably done that so again <laughs> yeah, Mike Craven did something very similar with a mistaken identity thing so I think Tim Weaver did it and that one might get knocked on the head I don't know but that was one of the other ideas I've got written down but yeah Alex will be we're be dealing with other stuff as well I mean, the book two has got um, it's got a stag do, a wedding, um, and a fire in it, which is nothing to, and plus lots of murders, but they're they're all in book two, so and they're all so, sidelines to the plot. They're nothing to do with the plot, <laughs> but they're just things I like. To, I like to I like to throw them you know, throw them out of a tree occasionally. You know, in my head, he's a real person, and I never used to believe authors in this. Oh, they're real people, and I talk to them and think, what would they do? But it's it's crazy when when they do. I woke up with his name in my head. I, I haven't got a name for them. I just called him George at that point, and I woke up with the name Alex Peachy. And I was like, where did that come from? And <laughs> one of my close friends from school is called David Peachy, and so I messaged him and said, "Do you mind if I use your surname?" He's like, "No, that's fine. I went, I'll put you in the book." So the David Peachy you read about in the book is my mate. So, but I put, I put him in as Alex's brother and, and his mannerisms and everything are exactly how the real baby Peachy are. You know, he's a bit of a goofball. He's a master builder by trade, ex-army. Um, and he's he, he can be a complete nit when he wants to be. But he's, a pretty, <laughs> but he's, he's Alex's brother. So I thought that's, you know, it's funny enough, we went to, I went to a school reunion a couple of years ago and someone asked him, oh, can I please be in your book? Please put me in your book. That'd be so great. So he's he, he got into book one so Glyn Mason, he, he turned up at the end of book one. So he's going to be quite, he's going to come back in book three. Um, because I thought that would that'd be an interesting one. Kizzy McLean, the drag queen, she's in book two. She may make an appearance in book three. It depends how, how the public perceive her. If they want her back, I'll bring her back. So I suppose that's where I'm at the moment because the characters are quite new. So people are still discovering them. Yeah, so... I've no idea who played Kitty. I'd have an actual drag queen play Kitty. Because I mean, that would be that would be fair. <laughs> I don't know a lot of drag queens who would love to do it. So. 
Yeah, they're not known for being shy, are they, drag queens? <laughs> the thing is, they, they can actually wear, they can wear the gear and, and pull it off, whereas, you know, yeah, an actor could do it, but it's better if it's an actual drag queen that does it. Because they, you know, they can walk in the heels and they can talk the talk. <laughs> they look better than I do dressed up, generally, and I can't walk in heels either. <laughs> it takes up to three hours to put all that makeup on. It's, it's a long process. I've watched it happen many times. And one of my favourite parts, when I first saw, saw my first drag queen, was um, she, she took her makeup and her dress and everything off. On, she de-dragged on stage. And I burst into tears because it was just such a beautiful thing to watch. Because there's this wonderful, glamorous woman. And then she, they played I Am What I Am. And, and she sort of sang along to it. And she sort of took makeup and everything off. And then this guy put his jeans and T-shirt on. And he went, this is me. And I thought, wow, that was so powerful. And he was so humble. I mean, once you got to know him, he wasn't. But he's, he's a big, loud, you know, larger-than-life character. But it was just... It, it just it was, I can't describe it. I was telling Jackie about it. it was, again, with, with the strippers, you know, I said to them, I don't know how you can go out there and do that. I, I, you know, and, and one of the guys went, I'll give you, I'll, I'll, give, I'll tell you the secret. He said, we met, wear mirrored sunglasses so that you can't see us. And I thought, what do you mean? He said, you can't see my eyes, so therefore you can't see me. I thought, that's really deep. He said, well, I've got my sunglasses on. He said, I can go out there and, and do all the stuff I do. He said, I couldn't do it without them. Because that's my armor. I thought again with drag queens, it's it's the the safety blanket, is it the shield, the armor, if you like. That's fascinating. But yeah, I loved I used to love watching watching Tilly, you know, I used to I love watching Tilly D drag because it was just an art form. I've seen others do it and it never quite hit home like he did. I mean he's, he's still going, he's still very prominent in, in Birmingham in the Midlands. And uh, I would highly recommend him to anyone who gets to see him. He's, he's incredible. But yeah, the D-drag really blew me away because I thought it just, that's something that you would think they'd do privately, but it was it was nice. It's almost like sharing a private moment. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't have any more questions for you, Ernest. You think there's anything I haven't asked you that you want to tell us? Um, I don't think so. Um... I can't think of any at all, to be honest. Yeah. I come to my cat. She likes to get in on the shot. Come on, then. <laughs> she sits on the desk when I'm writing. She usually sits between me and the keyboard. She's a nightmare. Are they? You're going to say hello to everyone. Uh, you're going to say hello. You say hello. Aww. You get down there. <laughs> <laughs> All the time, it's like no up on the desk, kick down, up on the desk. The other ones are asleep on I've got a cat tower next to the computer, the other ones are flat out on there. <laughs> Mary was just at the, that's Mary, the other one's pipping. So Mary likes to likes to sit and you know, she's becoming quite a star of Twitter, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, before we sign off, would you like to remind everyone where they can get your books from and where they can find out more about you? All right, so I've got, um, I'm on Twitter, at Anne Blockswitch. Um, my book's called What Goes Around, and it's available on Amazon at the moment as an e-book. Uh, I believe it's on offer, actually, at $1.99. Um, hardbacks are coming, um, hopefully, at the end of November, beginning of December, and should be available from Waterstones, Amazon, and other 
other bookshops. Fabulous. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. It's, it's been fabulous. I'm sorry about the glitch in the middle. That's <laughs> um, <no>, fine. <laughs> Spirits are at it. <laughs> yes. Every time. <laughs>